Hello, this is David King of singleadultministry.uk. Welcome to our author podcast. In these podcasts, we give the opportunity to an author or speaker to share an inspirational thought of their own choice and in their own words. May you be inspired and encouraged by what you hear. Hello, this is Lena Todd. I am assistant principal at the Scottish Baptist College, which is based in Scotland, but also offers its courses online so that they are available to people elsewhere. I have recently published a new book entitled Singleness and Marriage After Christendom. In the pages of this book, I am exploring a big change that is taking place in our world. Single people have become the fastest growing demographic group, often making up more than half of the adult population. The rise of singlehood is often considered in the light of the ease of divorce and the rise of cohabitation. In the eyes of some, the growing number of single people represents a threat to the survival of Christianity itself. Well, this book takes a very different perspective, starting with biblical grounds. It is true that marriage and having children were fundamental for the people of Israel, although the shape and purpose of marriage then was rather different from what today is imagined by those who talk about traditional family values. But the teaching of Jesus would have seemed truly baffling to his contemporaries, both when he insisted that husbands must stay married and faithful to their wives, and, even more radically, that he celebrated those who chose to forego marriage for the sake of the kingdom of God. His vision, rooted in the prophetic tradition, was of a new kind of a family. Those who were drawn to his teaching had to be willing to trust that following Jesus was worth the price of reordering their earthly relationships. And so, for some of his early followers, their Christian allegiance meant losing their previous identity, losing their economic security, and joining an alternative family called the church, which quickly became an affront to the Roman society. One of the starkest examples of the Christian clash with the societal norms was the Christian embrace of celibacy, remaining single, which also went again against the imperial policy requiring all Roman citizens to be married. Of course, many early Christians still married, but those Christians who chose to stay single became an embodiment of the Christian conviction that the kingdom of God was already present, already here. And as for married Christians, having children was no longer the key element of what it meant to live in God's will, or how faith was to be passed on, or how death was to be overcome. Childlessness was no longer a tragedy. Then came the long era of Christianization, the partnership between state and church that we call Christendom. Christendom's culture picked up the early Christian enthusiasm for celibacy and established it as superior to marriage. 
at least this was the official line. What went on in practice was a different matter, as illustrated by the length of time it took to enforce celibacy for the priests in the Western Church. But Christendom also encompassed lesser-known forms of singlehood, religious revival movements, confraternities and guilds. To me, these were some of the most fascinating stories I got to explore during the course of writing this book. During the Reformation period, the abuses of enforced celibacy became one of the main points in the preaching of the Protestant reformers. Before too long, there was a great deal of suspicion towards those who were single without a good reason. Yet in contrast to the medieval Roman Catholic teaching, which saw marriage's primary purpose in having children, the Reformation brought to the fore the idea of marriage as companionship. And as time went on, romance and emotional bonds became the main point of marriage, the essence of marriage, and the symbol of the highest human happiness that could be achieved here on earth. This is the worldview we have inherited, and under the power of which we still largely live. Unless you have loved, the message runs, you have hardly lived, and even an unhappy love story is still better than none. The persistence of this storyline has been remarkable. Even though today's happiness industry says we should explore different pathways to happiness, and even as singles and single households continue to grow in numbers, the sense of marriage and coupledom as a norm still prevails, for now at least. What is also interesting is how this storyline gets expressed in the church context, in terms of the Christian happiness package, if you will. While it is acknowledged that God's will may lead us to a path that does not involve marriage, romantic love and happy coupledom still function as the ultimate symbol and expression of God's blessing. As we watch Christendom melt away, I ask, how can our single lives and our marriages and our perceptions of a good, happy life become more aligned with the teaching of Jesus and his insistence on the faithfulness for life required in marriage and, even more stunningly, his call for abstaining from coupledom as a celebration of God's kingdom. How should this hard-to-swallow teaching shape our understanding of singleness and marriage today? So I look at a number of key areas of life, personal and communal, which may help us live into some answers. I discuss different ways in which churches can convey their views on singleness and marriage. I look at the importance of such practices as friendship, which can be more than just a personal relationship, but also a community-building and missional practice to which we are invited as the friends of Jesus. But here's the thing. Practices like these 
need the local church to be a genuine community of belonging, a safe and transformative environment for making sense of our own unresolved questions, bodily yearnings, and the difficult, at times painful, twists and turns of our lives. The increase of single people in our society may well give the church a really precious gift, compelling Christian communities to re-examine the role of blood and marriage ties within the family of God. These communities, these churches, will need to do some serious work in reimagining and relearning happiness. As we engage in this work of reimagining and relearning happiness, we are invited to make meaning out of the different and sometimes changing circumstances we may find ourselves in. My hope is that some of the ideas I have shared here and in this book might be of help and inspiration to those who yearn for such creative meaning-making in their own lives, both as either single or coupled individuals and as communities of God's people.